You can take your seats. <clears throat> so we've been looking at uh, the book of Nehemiah. We're going to continue that today, looking at uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 39. Long chapter, a lot of names. I'm not going to read all the names, so uh, <clears throat> we can uh, press on to get through that. Just you'll see in the text, there's a lot of names. Um, Remember, uh, the people had the six-hour service where the Word of God was read to them, translated and explained. They were convicted of their sin. They celebrated the Feast of Booths for the first time in many, many years there in Jerusalem. And then uh, uh, they came together confessing their sins. And this is what happened after they confessed their sins and made a commitment uh, to renew their uh, uh, relationship uh, with with uh, their covenant God. Now, um, let me be clear about this right right off the bat. Sometimes what happens to us is we confuse repentance with the fruit of repentance. So what happens to us often is we what we think repentance is are, is the things that we do, right? There's a great picture there when the uh, uh, people were coming to uh, John the Baptist there on the Jordan River, right? He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Um, and so what, what he's saying to them is, you're entrusting yourself to God. You believe in the gospel, right? So as a result of that, people ask the question, well, what do we do? Soldiers ask the question, uh, uh, tax collectors ask, ask the question. So what you do is is the fruit of what happens from your uh, repentance and your turning in faith uh, to God. So we're going to look at that today. They make they they, they make primarily three commitments that we're going to look at uh, as we unpack uh, the text. But before I read it, uh, let me pray and then uh, uh, we'll jump in. Uh, Jesus, you are good uh, to love us. Uh, you are good to love us uh, and to find us, as we just sang. Uh, we think we're looking for you, but actually we're just looking for anything that would satisfy us. And we're so confused uh, that we'll take almost anything. And yet, as we've sung, you find us. That's good news. Uh, because on our own, we'd never find you. Um, and so I pray today that that grace demonstrated in your coming and taking and uh, finding uh, the prodigals and the lost sheep that we are uh, would move us to be distinctive, would move us to uh, um, reflect your character, uh, that we would look more and more like you. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to read verse 1. And then we'll skip down uh, to uh, verse 20, uh, 28 through the rest of the chapter. Isaiah 10, or Nehemiah 10, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, and then down to verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and statutes. 
We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third of a part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. And also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks. And to bring the first of our dough and our, and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. So it's a pretty profound thing. The people have rediscovered their covenant relationship with God, and they've recommitted themselves, uh, uh, turning away from their sin and confessing their need and their uh, obligation now uh, to God. So again, it's an important thing for us to, to understand that what they're doing here is they're not saying, hey, if we do these things, you know, God will love us more. Or if we do these things, God will be more gracious to us. No, what they're recognizing is we belong as a people, as individuals to the Lord who made this covenant with us. And as a result of that, that's going to be reflected in our behavior. It's going to be reflected in the way we live, right? So there's a, a couple important things to note about this. When you say you belong to Jesus Christ, one of the things that is true of you when you do that is you begin to look like him. You begin to recognize that he, uh, he owns you, right? <clears throat> that as we say in the, um, uh, uh, first, uh, question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That you're not your own, but you belong body and soul to your faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Now we say that often at funerals, right? But one of the things that's true about that is, in some ways, saying it at a funeral is, is easier, in a sense, than saying it now. Right? Because by saying it now, in this life, right here and right now, I'm saying, what, the way I live today, uh, what I do with my stuff, what I do with my life, is reflected in the fact that it's not mine. And that, in fact, I'm not even mine. I belong to him. And everything about me belongs to him. Now, that, that is a pretty profound thing for us to think about because uh, if, if there's one thing 
uh, that I have learned uh, over the years is the one of the, you know, you like to think that when you have a baby, their first word is going to be dada, mama, that kind of stuff. It's usually mine. <laughs> right? <laughs> mine. Mine. Um, I, I, you know, I watch my, my grandson, you know, who, you know, next to Jesus is probably the, you know, the most perfect person who's ever lived, right? And he, uh, he, uh, is very clear about that. Everything is his until he decides it's not. And everybody else needs to get on board with that, right? So, so the, so the truth of the, you know, where do you learn that? But the, the fact is that that's, that's the way we, we kind of tend to think about our lives, right? This, you know, God might be in charge of this part of it over here. Jesus might have a claim over here, but this part over here, this is mine. So the recognition here is, as the people gather together is, wow, God has been really gracious to us. He has provided for us. And his patience has been manifest to us year after year after year as our fathers uh, and we uh, continue to rebel against him and to turn away from him and to, to give our hearts to other gods and to other things. And yet he still has borne with us. And here he has brought us to this place this day providing for us. So as we hear the law of God, we commit ourselves. We write down on this document, this is what we are committing ourselves to, and we sign our names so that we, before God, take an oath to ourselves, we're going to do these things, God, because you have loved us and you have provided for us. We are going to be distinctive from the rest of the world because you are distinctive. You alone are God and we are your people. And so as a result of that, because you love us so much, this is what's going to be true of us. We will reflect your character. And so that is the, and, and, and to, to be clear about that, we're going to write this down on a piece of paper and we're going to sign our names. That's what they do, right? And so what's interesting about it is, is the things that they pick to commit themselves to. Now, in verse 29 says that what they're, they're going to do is they are going to uh, walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and his ordinances and statutes. So they say, you know, we're going we're to keep the law of God. Not, not perfectly, certainly, but they are making a commitment just like we make commitments all the time to say, you know, as God empowers, as God gives me grace, as the spirit is with me, this is what's going to be true of me. Lord, help me to fulfill this commitment. Help me to be obedient, right? Not to earn your favor, but to reflect your character and your glory and to, to, to reflect to the rest of the world something that's distinctive about this God of grace. So they make that commitment. But the thing that's interesting about it is, is that's their kind of general commitment, but they, they choose three specific things that they're going to reflect on and that they're going to, uh, uh, to obey. And that is no intermarriage with those outside the faith. They're going to obey the Sabbath principle and they're going to support the temple worship. Now, here's, here's one of the things that's important for us to understand about this. This is, this is not some sort of transaction, but the truth is, anytime we enter into a covenant relationship with somebody else, anytime you, you, you do that, there are some things that you, you work out in that relationship, right? 
there's some things that you, you think about as you're getting ready to enter, enter into a covenant with somebody. Like when, when Marty and I were, were courting, you know, you would like to think that courting, that's a really terrible word, isn't it? I'm sorry. When we were exploring our future together, whatever, whatever it was that we were doing, when we were dating, uh, but people don't even do that anymore, right? Whatever it was we were doing before we got married, this, one of the things that became clear is, um, you know, you're swept up in romance, you're swept up in love, you're putting your best foot forward, you know, you're, you're, you're doing all of those things that you do, you know, because we, we, you know, to kind of soften the blow of what real life with you is going to be like. But, but, but the fact is, uh, one of the things that happens in that is you kind of say, well, we're going to make these vows in front of our friends and family and everybody's going to be engaged and involved and seeing us make this commitment and they're going to help us and they're going to pray for us and they're going to hold us accountable to that. But there's some things uniquely true about our relationship and about who we are that we want to observe in our family. We don't, we don't demand that every marriage be like this, but in our marriage, this is the way it's going to be. So she sat me down and said, okay, if we get married, there are two things I am never doing ever. So they got, got my attention. The first one is I am never cutting the grass ever. I had to cut the grass. I will not cut the grass. So if the grass is going to get cut, either you're going to do it or you're going to pay somebody to do it. But don't expect me to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm like, okay. You know, I, that, frankly, in all our dating, cutting the grass had never occurred to me, right? I just, I was thinking about other things, right? So that's good. Okay, I can take care of that. And she said, then the second thing is, I will never clean fish. <laughs> Never, which I was so odd. I just thought, you know, have I, have I indicated to you somehow or other in our dating that uh, I need you to clean my fish, you know? <laughs> and she said, you know, my, in, in my family, you know, my dad would go fishing and he would bring those fish home and I would have to clean them. Now that I'm married, I don't have to live like that anymore and I'm not going to do it. Like, okay, you know? I mean, I was, I, you know, I'd always dreamed of, you know, going out and catching fish and bringing them in and throwing them down on the kitchen counter and say, wife, you know, clean these fish and fry them up for me. Right. Anyway, those were, those were pretty two easy, two easy things for us to negotiate, to, to figure out this is, this is how we're going to live together. Well, here we have three specific things that these people signed their names, witness to God and to each other. This is what's going to be true of us. And the first one may seem a little quaint. What they say is we are not going to give our daughters or our sons in marriage to the people who are around us who don't share our faith. And then an interesting thing out of the first thing that they picked, the first uh, issue that's going to make them a distinctive people is the fact that they're not going to intermarry. And this is not an ethnic thing. Ethnicity doesn't matter. What matters is faith, your spiritual identity. 
And so these people recognize that, that the, as the people of God, they are to be distinctive. Now, we, we hear this and we think, well, that seems kind of exclusive and, and it makes me a little nervous. But just imagine in the culture here, when you marry somebody of, 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 of a different faith, whatever, when you gather together in your home and you, you set up, what do you, what, the person who, who comes from another faith brings with them their idol to set it up in the house. To say, you know, my husband, he worships the Lord, but I worship Baal. And here he is. Right? So it's easy to see when you, when you do that, suddenly that things begin to get a, 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 little, uh, a little diluted. Now, it's easy in, in general to say, okay, we, we make that commitment. But what happens if you're poor and a rich young man comes along who wants to marry your daughter and make all her dreams come true and take care of you. And he is fabulously wealthy and he worships another God. Perhaps you might think differently about this. But these folks understand a couple of things that are important. And that is, number one, that God's intention here is, is not just to, to, to keep a bloodline exclusive, but so that there would be a people of God whereby his son would be born into a remnant of faithful people that belonged to him, that remembered him, so that he could come into the world as our redeemer. But it's also a way for them to mark themselves out as distinctive because it takes faith to say, you know what, we're, we're this tiny little minority of people here and we are going to remain distinctive because our God loves us that much, right? And now as we're going to see in a few chapters, they didn't maintain, they didn't maintain that commitment. But I want to say something particular about this now, the, the folks among us, who long to be married and uh, who, uh, but are, whose consciences have been captured by the word of God to only marry in the faith and they wait and they wait and they wait for somebody in the faith to come along to love them and to be committed to them. We should honor them. We, sh- we, should, we should remember them. We should pray for them. We should love them. We should help them. And uh, we, sh- we should pray that God would be good to give them the desire of their heart. We should do that as a community. We should do more of that than we do. And we should hold those people in high esteem because they are reflecting to us the character of God in ways that we might, we might miss otherwise. So that's one. Secondly, the other thing is, is the Sabbath principle, that they're not going to buy and sell anything on Sabbath days. Uh, and that every seven years they will not collect on their debts. Now, one of the things that's, that's interesting about that is, is that what they're recognizing is, is that God has a rhythm for time. That God has a rhythm for the way life is supposed to go. And what they're recognizing, not only are their relationships not even their own, that God has a right and God owns them and owns their relationships. He also owns their time. 
Now, this really runs in the face of the way we think about our lives today. Well, if my relationships are not mine, okay, that's one thing, but surely my time is because I need to be able to do what I need to be able to do with my time. And anyway, God, you would make me so much more productive if you let me have a little bit of charge of my time because you don't understand what I need, right? So did I, did I need a break here? Or I need to be able to do this or I need to be able to do that. What they're recognizing is God has said, listen, you need to trust me with your time. You need to trust me with your work and you need to trust me with your means of economic uh, preservation. And so the way you do that and the way you reflect that, and one of the ways that they would be distinctive from the people around them would, would be to say, our God is so good and our God is so great that one day in seven and one year in seven, we are going to trust him to provide. One day in seven, we are not going to, we are not going to enter into economic, uh, activity. And one year in seven, we're not even going to plant our fields. We're not even going to sow that because in the sixth year, God is going to provide for us so much that we can recognize that the land is his, the production is his, the, the food is his, the money is his, and we trust him. Now, what a what profound thing that is to the people who are watching them. Like, those people are crazy. That, 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 that they're willing not to work when you could work seven days a week. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna take a day off because they trust their God to provide for them. They're gonna actually leave the land alone one day, one year and seven and not plant anything. Now, I think that's a, that's a pretty profound thing for us to, to think about. But remember, this is the God who also said that when you go and you harvest your land, that whatever falls out of your basket or whatever is on the edge of your fields, you leave it because it's not really yours. It's his. Whatever you have, your time, your money, your possessions, your means of production, the Lord loves you so much that he has set you free from having to hold on to that. And he wants us to understand that real human flourishing, real human joy is found not in grasping, but in letting go, in giving, and entrusting ourselves to him, knowing that he has given to us, and he will give us what we need because he loves us and because he has tied himself to us in covenant. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable thing. Um, to to think about that and to 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 for you and I to ask our, ourselves the question where does the sabbath principle manifest itself in my life you know one of the things that i think is going to be interesting as the pandemic goes on and more and more people work from home and maybe work from home forever um how's that going to impact when you get away from work or are you going to be willing to work all the time and be fully productive, right? Well, if the Lord owns our time and owns the means of production, right? When, and he says to us, trust me, rest. That's where your life is found. Uh, how's that going to manifest itself in our lives? Because after all, you know, uh, 
what is what is the way that you demonstrate your value and importance in the world is not in your rest and who you're resting in, but the way we tend to think about it is if you're not busy, you're not worth very much. You're not very impressive. But that's not what God has. God, what, what God says to us is, you know, I, what marks us off as distinctive is the openness and the understanding that our God is so good that he provides richly for us. And our hands are open and our hearts are open and our lives are able to take some rest because our God gives us that. And then lastly, the thing that we see is the support of temple worship, Right. So one of the things that is profound about that is, is that the people are going to give and give and give and give and give for the maintenance of what is distinctive about them. And that is their worship. So they're going to they're going to make sure that the temple is able to function, that they have a place where they can gather together and a place where the atonement for sin, a place where the forgiveness of sins, a place where the community can gather together and play out the drama of redemption and salvation. And this covenant relationship is maintained. That's a pretty powerful thing for them to say that they're going to commit themselves to making sure that all of that stuff is there. You see, we think even we're in control of our worship. But God says, no, the worship is mine as well. And what he does is is he uses his people and uses the things that he gives us uh, so that this can go on. And their commitment there is that in all the other things that go on in the world, all the other things that happen to us, we will not neglect the worship of our God. Well, you know, there's all sorts of things we could say about that today, right? (laughs) About neglecting the worship of our God. Um, uh, My truck uh, that I bought a couple of years ago, uh, I um, have always wanted to be in a position that when I had a vehicle, I would always take it back to the dealership to get them to work on it. Because I've always been too poor or, you know, my cars were so old, the dealerships were long out of business. (laughs) So that I bought it from. And so, so I like to take it in. And every year at some time or another, when I go in to get the oil change, they give me a serious, uh, uh, FM, XM, whatever that thing is, a subscription for free for three months. And then of course they start calling you to say, do you want to start paying for this? And I'm like, no, I like it. I really like it, and I'm not paying for it. And so uh, I listen to uh, the, the sports stations and the country music stations. And uh, there's this station on my Sirius XM that is the country music from uh, like the mid-1990s to 2015. What a niche, right? And I've been listening. They play a lot of the same stuff over and over again, which is another reason why I will never pay for it. But um, one of the songs that they pay is about a guy who gets up in the morning on Sunday morning and he's thinking about going to church, but he wants to go fishing. And what he ends up deciding is that it's better for him to be fishing during church and thinking about God than being in church and thinking about fishing. (laughs) what a you know this is what i think about when i'm in my truck like um (laughs) so dumb 
Well, well, the, the, the thing that I, that I thought about that is I, as I, there's a logic to that that seems compelling. And one of the things that he says is, I know I'm not going to be in church and I know people are going to talk about me because I'm not in church. That's probably true. Um, but the thing that's disconcerting to me uh, 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 about that logic is, uh, who's that about? It's about him. About what he wants to do. Right? He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's calling the shots. And what worship does is that takes that, and what these people are recognizing is, that takes that out of our hands. You see, if Jesus is for us, he loved us, he died and rose again for us, and we are his, then even our worship, our time, our money, our relationships are his. And if they're his, that's where real joy is found. Not in trying to to earn his favor, to get him to pay attention to me, but simply just to rest in the fact that these things, I'm not, I'm not the owner of them. He is. So really, as these people make this commitment for us, and as we think about these kind of commitments, this is the pathway to freedom. This is the pathway to joy. Join me in praying. Lord, we, we ask you to, to help us with that today, that uh, it's hard for us to trust you uh, because, uh, uh, well, the, the things that we can hold in our hands, uh, the things that we can put in our stomachs, uh, the things that we can, uh, um, uh, the way we use our time seem to be things under our control. And yet the truth of the matter is, if the covenant means anything, if the gospel means anything, it means that we belong to you. And that means all of our lives. And so would you help us with that today? Help us to trust you. Help us to rest in your goodness and your covenant love. Help us to rest in your commitment uh, and help us to... Uh, bear uh, this fruit that shows we have repented and turned towards you. Lord, would you make us distinctive uh, in that way? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sins together by using this uh, confession uh, from uh, Psalm 51. Would you pray with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Believer, hear this words of encouragement. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. <laughs> 